Holy Spirit, fire, winnowing fan, threshing floor, unquenchable fire. This is a perfect time to start crying, in my opinion. Who can blame you? We know that Advent is a time of preparation. We speak of it that way. We talk about preparing the way, clearing the path, opening our hearts. I have to remember something very, very important. The word incarnation, so the technical title of Christmas, is the solemnity of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does the word incarnation mean? The word incarnation comes from the Latin incarnatus. Incarnatus. Natus means born. Caro means flesh. That's where we get the word carne, meat, flesh. So incarnation means literally to be born into flesh. I was almost late to Mass coming from Naperville this morning, but I was here in plenty of time, and if Phil was going to give me a hard time, I was planning to say, Ad sum in caro. I am here in the flesh. I'm not sure how to say it in Latin, but it would have been followed up with, Chill out. But because of this marvelous mystery, which we take for granted, because we think about it all the time, of course the Messiah was going to be born of the Virgin, of course the Messiah was going to be born in the stable, of course the Messiah was going to you know, minister in Judea and Galilee, of course the Messiah was going to suffer under Pontius Pilate, be crucified, died, and be buried, and rose again on the third day, of course the Messiah was going to ascend into heaven, of course the Holy Spirit was going to come. But that is us saying that, right? For the people, the prophets, the people in Jesus, his own time, there was no of course about any of this in the way that it was happening. There was no, oh yeah, the Messiah was always going to do that. Remember that the, the idea that they had of the Messiah was a political figure, someone who was going to come and make Israel great again, for lack of a better phrase, someone who was going to restore the glory of the Davidic kingdom and make the city of Jerusalem the most powerful pole of the earth that it used to be. But all the prophets are predicting someone else. They're speaking about someone else. And John the Baptist is the forerunner of someone else. And so we can't necessarily blame the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, when they don't recognize Jesus in his ministry. Because in some sense, their vision was not ready to receive the kind of Messiah that had actually arrived. But the Messiah did arrive in Caronatus, in the flesh. He was born into the flesh, which makes everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does, and every single way that the church invites us to live life on this earth insanely practical. In other words, the Christian life will always look like something. And we don't do Advent correctly when we look at Advent simply as like, I'm going to prepare the way for Jesus in my heart, you know? If you're getting those uh, email reflections or whatever every day, and they encourage you to be the Virgin Mary for someone at work today. <laughs> what the heck does that even mean? <laughs> Let the light of the Advent wreath 
inflame your whole life? Like, what does it mean? What does that look like? What does that have to do with me being Adsum and Carl here in the flesh? How is my life being changed? How is my worldview being changed? How are my habits being changed? How am I being led away from sin and death and into a new kind of living? That's the thing. Father Chris and I were classmates together at Mundelein Seminary. Mundelein, as you know, uh, the seminary in Chicago, up north in the city of Mundelein. And uh, the seminary sits on about a thousand acres of forest and woodland. And when we were there, uh, in like our last couple of years there, they started just clearing out all these trees, knocking them down. And it was like, I don't know if you've ever read the book Lump World, or if you've ever read uh, The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. It was sort of how we felt, like uh, this strange person had come, a big uh, corporate executive had become our COO, and all of a sudden, the truffula trees were being cut down, you know. And we were like, why are you doing that? I can think of very few good reasons why you would be doing that. But what he was explaining to us is that uh, kind of a a tree disease had been discovered uh, in our little forest. And it had affected a large number of trees over many years that no one had really done anything about. So it was spreading around because nobody was cutting these trees down. So when you hear something like the the shoot is sprouting from the stump of Jesse, you have to back up and say, why is Jesse's lineage, the family tree of Jesse, why is there a stump in the first place? It's nice that a shoot is sprouting from the, what was once was dead is now is alive. And, okay, but why was it dead? Why was it chopped down in the first place? You don't just chop down perfectly healthy trees for no reason. And typically, if a tree is chopped down, it's because it's not perfectly healthy. You see? That the lineage of Jesse, you know, you read the beginning of Matthew's gospel and you have that really long genealogy with all those names in it. Or if you read Luke chapter 3 and you get the lineage of uh, of the other side of Jesus, connecting him back to Adam. And they're both filled with all these people whose names you would recognize as being people who are both awesome kings, holy prophets, and also murderers, adulterers, the worst of the kings of Israel, etc. And we know that God allows the people to be sent off, for example, into Babylon because they have abandoned their covenant with him. In other words, the tree was not healthy, and so the tree is cut down, but all along God is saying, I will restore the family of Israel. I will restore this lineage. I will restore what was lost. I will regrow the tree, basically. So why is there a stump in the first place? It's because the tree is not bearing good fruit. So John the Baptist, as he preaches to people today, he says to the Pharisees and scribes, look, where's the fruit of your repentance? Where is the evidence of the way you have lived your life differently because of all of this? Because it seems to me that you're just the same old person, but now you are, you know, you've been baptized. Like, what does that mean? You've all heard the phrase before that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in the garage makes you a car. That's true. 
But it requires a sincere and dedicated different way of living, that the things that you are using as a way of either avoiding reality or of manipulating reality, which is so often the drive behind our sinfulness, I want what I want and I want it right now, is a great definition of sin. Because that's what we try to do in sin. We try to take things and manipulate them so that the world is more comfortable for us or so that we can achieve the, the four goods of the world, wealth, pleasure, power, or honor. Uh, we take sin and we say, I don't really trust you, God, because I'm not sure that you're going to be who you say you can be, so I am going to do this on my own. A lot of us are living with that mindset, by the way. And it comes from a world in which you pretty much can do anything on your own. You, know? you can do a lot of things in our culture without relying or trusting on, uh, in anyone else. But true peace, the joy that comes from the gospel, happiness, freedom from sin, the things that we all crave, you can't do them alone. And so the lie is, I'm not sure he's really who he says he is. I'm not really sure about that. But John the Baptist, he says something kind of ominous, doesn't he? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. But here's the thing. We know that the greatest tree of Israel, the lineage of Jesse, the family of Israel, we see that that tree was cut down with the proverbial axe. And we see now that a a shoot is sprouting. That new life has come, but it had to be cut down. So don't think about Advent in terms of like, oh, we're all called to be holy. (laughs) Duh. Oh, we're all this. Oh, that lady over there, she could use a little repentance. That politician, that person there, that this thing, Aunt, you know, Sandra, she could use some repentance. But, you know, not me. (laughs) No. God comes to save all of us, and he does it by saving each of us. So we're all called to take a look during Advent and say, at what root in my life, at the base of which trunk of my life, is the axe already lying there? In other words, what is keeping me from living this life authentically? Is it a particular habit? Is it a mindset? Is it an attitude? Is it a habitual sin? Is it, um, uh, you know, I don't know, an unwillingness to work? Is it an overwillingness to work? Is it uh, the desire to get my helpfulness and goodness all over everybody else without being asked? Um, Is it the fear of being known? Is it um, the past? Is it a wound from the past, some kind of trauma that the Lord is asking to heal? Whatever it is, we've all got the root and we've all got the axe. And we have the promise that sometimes rooting out the things that are bad and keeping us from God, actually, you have to do. So if you go up to Mundelein today, I almost can guarantee you that you would not notice what I'm talking about right now. Why? Because the forest has begun to grow again. What once was full and luscious, or so we thought, was actually closer to death and decay than we could have ever imagined. And what was once barren and empty and kind of stark and scary 
And we were really mad about it and disappointed. If you go up there today, you will see that it has come back to life, that it is a flourishing place and that it doesn't really feel any different than it did before, with the exception that it's a lot more green in the summer, whereas before it was so kind of brown and you didn't even notice it. So I want to encourage you that the Christian life is called to look like something. And today, if you're feeling like this guy has no idea what my life is like, you're right. First of all, I don't. <laughs> okay. And see you never. You know what I mean? But the thing is, the Lord is looking at you today. And as you receive the Eucharist, I want you to perceive his voice saying to you, let me come and chop it. Let me come and yank it. Let me come and get rid of it so that I can come and make you new, so that I can come and give you life, so that I can come in the flesh and encounter you in your flesh. And the thing that you have always longed for, which is that this Christianity thing could actually look like something or bear fruit in your life, Jesus is saying to you, Adsum incaro. I am here in the flesh and I am with you and I am who I say I am and I am doing what I said I would do. So come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. But sadly, the rest at first is going to sound an awful lot like a chainsaw. And that's okay.